For those of you that don't know who I am, um, my name is Dale DeRee. My wife and I are part of North City Community Church in North, and I happen to be friends with a number of your pastors, and I am a professor and a campus pastor at Bethel University, and so I get to get to bring the message to you today. I happen to have been with your pastor this past week and was hanging out with her, and I have to tell you, she is chomping at the bit to get back. When I went on sabbatical, I did not want to come back, but she cannot wait to get back, and so I thought it would be appropriate for us to send her a little message this morning, okay? She claims that she's not watching these online live, but only after the fact, so I, we need to send her this message because then she'll eventually get it. Uh, actually, I can send it in real time. So I thought, I'll, I'll, we, I'll ask you, you know, I'll kind of say, um, there's something that your people want to say to you. And you could say, we can't wait until you get back. Shall we practice? One, two, three. We can't wait until get back. Oh, I guess we didn't really need to practice after all. So, all right. Stephanie, your people want to say something to you. Hopefully that'll hold her for the rest of the week because she cannot wait to get back. So I will send this to her like in real time. And while I'm doing that, um, look at I even have her text thing here. Okay, how convenient was that? We were texting this week because we had to meet. Anyways, um, I'm excited to be with you today and to share the message with you. I have had a very interesting last four weeks. The first two weeks I was on vacation and I was on vacation because of, here's a couple of pictures, um, our second son, our second child got married. And so it was a, one of those times in your life, you know, maybe if you have been married, you go to weddings, you have friends that get married, you know, those are just, you know, milestone moments. And so this is a picture on the left of Matthias and my new daughter-in-law, Anna. And we became grandparents three months ago. Now, this is not their child. This was not a shotgun wedding or anything. We have an older son who got married five years ago, and this is our granddaughter, Carter, with a K. And so, like, the first two weeks of my July, I was on vacation. We were focused on the wedding. We had family come into town. We had these gatherings where we got to celebrate, and we got to speak words of blessing. I got to hear both of their friend groups speak words of blessing over them and pray for them. I mean, it was rich. It was deep. It was one of those moments as a parent, you know, all of the things that you would ever hope to have happen for your children are there. They're people of faith. They care deeply about Jesus. And then we got to have the ceremony and I got to officiate, which was really rich and deep and meaningful. And we got the banquet afterwards, and my college roommate and his wife came, and my wife's college roommate and her husband came all the way from Chicago, and we got to sit around the tables afterwards, and I was on grandpa duty, so I was holding my grandbaby the whole night, and I got to talk with all of my deep, you know, long, like, long-time friends, and it was just, it was rich. It was a couple of weeks where my ability to sense God's presence my ability to sense God's blessing on my life, my ability to sense God's love was rich and deep. 
And not only that, after the wedding and after everybody went home, I got to finish my vacation with three days in Grand Marais doing my very favorite and most spiritually you know, important discipline, riding my mountain bike in Grand Marais for three full days. The first day it was 57 degrees, it was 91 down here. Just saying, it was really nice. So it was just this two weeks of just blessing and amazing time. And then, of course, two weeks ago, tomorrow, I went back to work. And I went back to, these are pictures that, oh, yeah, that like, these aren't like, that's not my actual desk. I didn't actually have like 8,950, but it's just what it felt like, okay? I went back to work, and we got all this stuff that's happened in the two weeks that I'm gone. We're getting all ready for the fall. I didn't have like 8,000, but I had like about 100 emails waiting for me. A little parenthetical aside, when I was with Stephanie on Thursday, Tuesday, she said, I have over 4,000 emails in my inbox. I'm like, if you know who are, judge people by how important they are, your pastor is really important. But I went back to work and it's like crazy. You know that week where you're trying to re-engage after you've been on vacation, it's just this awful feeling. You're in the fog, you're trying to remember what your job even is, let alone who are these people I'm meeting with and all of those kinds of things and I've got all this backed up stuff. And plus I came back to, we're like in doing budget cuts for this fall, like not for a year from now, we're doing budget cuts for now. That's impacting my ministry area and it was just like, ugh. It was ugh. At the best it was ugh. And through that week and then last week, you know, funny, I'm having a harder time sensing God's presence in my life. Having a harder time sensing that um, God loves me and that God desires to bless me. And as I go through these two weeks and I compare them, it's quite the contrast. And the question I have to ask myself is like, did God change or did did my mindfulness change? And is there a life that God wants for me that is actually the same in both places? And as I was reflecting on this, and as I was kind of preparing for this message and thinking about living a life uh, as a follower of Jesus, I, I felt this desire to want to talk to you, but really I'm going to be talking to me mostly. <laughs> about how is it that sometimes I don't experience the love and the presence and the blessing of God in the same way. And are there certain times and are there certain practices or activities and places where I'm like, oh yeah, I know I'm going to meet God there, but there are these other places and times where I'm not meeting God. Of course, this is not what God desires for us, and I want to share a passage with you today that we're going to just pick apart a little bit and focus on that reminds us that God's desire for us is to experience life and life to the full at all times. The passage I'm speaking of is found in a letter written by a man named John. Uh, if you've been around the church at all, you know that John was one of the 12 disciples, one of the apostles of Jesus, and he was an eyewitness of Jesus. And later in his life, he wrote a biography of Jesus, a gospel we call it, and his gospel got used by some people to argue that Jesus was not fully human. And they began to argue that Jesus only appeared to be human because to be human at that day and time and in this philosophy of that day was to be evil, and the physical things were evil. But spiritual things, the things you couldn't see and taste and touch and those things, those were spiritual, those were good, but the physical, that which you could see and hear and touch 
Well, that was evil, so Jesus couldn't have been fully human. He only seemed to be human. And John's gospel had been used to kind of argue for that, and John then decides to write a letter to straighten this out. And in 1 John, we call it, he spends a significant amount of time talking about Jesus. He says, the Jesus I saw, I heard, I touched, (laughs) right? He's like, no, no, he was fully human, even though he was also fully divine. Well, by chapter 5, he's been making his case, and he's been giving his testimony, and now he decides he's going to kind of lay down the trump card, and that's the testimony or the test of the, uh, what God testifies to. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we read these verses. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. John Stott, who was an English scholar and really well known, in his commentary on 1 John chapter 5, these verses says this. Three important truths are taught in these verses about eternal life. First, it is not a prize which we have earned or could earn, but an undeserved gift. Secondly, it is found in Christ, so that in order to give us life, God gave Uh, both gave and gives us his son. And thirdly, and this is what I want to kind of focus on today, this gift of the life in Christ is a present possession. John didn't say God has given us life that's in the future, but that in Jesus we have life. It is a present possession. The life of the age to come, namely eternal life, can be received and enjoyed here and now. Now, this idea of eternal life, if you'll kind of stick with me just for a minute, I want to do a little word study on it because often we don't understand what it means. John uses this word zoe, which is the word for life, 76 times in his gospel and in his letters. It's a favorite term for him, and it means more than like having a heartbeat. It means more than having animal vitality as a human being. And it's often combined with the word aeonas, so it's zoeanas, which means pertaining to an age. And this is the concept that the Jews believe that you're in the present age, and the Messiah would come, and then would come the age to come. And in the age to come, it would be different, because the Messiah would run the world. And so this idea of life of the age to come is the concept of experiencing, in a sense, heaven when it comes on earth in full. Life, then, is that which removes a person from the merely earthly and sets him or her into the experience of the age to come. And since the Jews viewed this age to come, the aeonas, that it would be eternal, it would never end, it would be everlasting, it became translated as eternal life, not life of the age. And, but this this life that John is talking about is not about quantity, it's about quality. We can experience the quality of life of the future now. The quality of life of what it's gonna be like when Jesus runs everything. When heaven comes in full on earth. There's a quality of life of what that's going to feel like that we can experience now. And it's something that we have. It's not something we will have. It's something we have in Christ. 
Now try to get your imagination around this. I'm going to give you a little prompt that I want you to think about. As you think about the day when Jesus comes back and he is here and he's running everything, what will that feel like for you? It will feel like heaven on earth when? So I was thinking about this this week, stuck in traffic and having hit a pothole, and I'm like, man, imagine what it's going to feel like when Jesus comes back and like he's in charge of the people who run MnDOT. I mean, it's going to feel like no more potholes and it's going to feel like no more stuck in traffic, right? Smooth sailing, right? How about for you? What is something that like you imagine and how good it will feel when Jesus comes back and he runs everything? Think about something that you just kind of can't wait until it's done right. Does anything come to mind for you? All right, turn to your neighbor and just complete this little prompt. It will feel like heaven on earth when? All right, turn to your neighbor and uh, share that little prompt. Okay, if you haven't both got to share, switch up real quick. So John suggests, suggests that God self testifies that he has given us eternal life and this life is in his son and whoever has the son has life. This is a quality of life, an experience of life, an experience of what it's going to feel like when heaven is on earth and in full. And this feeling that you were talking about, I hope that you came up with some, I would love to have had time to hear what kinds of things you came up with, but this feeling is true. The experience of heaven can be had now. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control that is happening in heaven right now it is something that we can experience even now in this age. I love how Henry Nouwen puts it. In his book, Making All Things New, he says, Jesus came to give us his own life. We think of Jesus giving his life for us, which is true, but Jesus also came to give his life to us. 
Everything that belongs to Jesus is given to us to receive. The spiritual life is indeed a life in which we are lifted up to become partakers of the divine life. The life that exists in heaven between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control that goes on between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is available for us to experience because Jesus came to give us his life. But this raises this question for me, why do I struggle experiencing the life of Christ at certain times and in certain places? Why am I able to sense it at a wedding and when I'm mountain biking, but I struggle to sense it when I'm back at work in a meeting talking about budget cuts? Author William Shannon says that what I am dealing with is what he calls spiritual apartheid. You may remember this heinous practice of South Africa, which we also did here in America, of segregating and separating, and apartheid was the name of that policy. But he says there's such a thing as spiritual apartheid. He defines it this way. Spiritual apartheid is the mentality that sets God apart from creation. Judith Haugen, in her book, Transformed into Fire, she kind of expounds on this and gives a little commentary on it. She says, Spiritual tide is the belief that God is more present and active in certain times and places than in others. We shut God out of our consciousness during those moments that we label as non-spiritual, which constitute the majority of the day. So we develop this kind of mentality. We are gathered here. We just participated in some musical worship, and you probably came anticipating and hoping to sense the presence of God here in this place during this time, and that's a beautiful and good thing. But if we have this mentality that this time and this place is the place where you experience God's presence, but there are these other times when we leave this place where we are not able, unable to access the presence and the life and the blessing of God and feel that, then we are practicing what he calls spiritual apartheid. This mentality that sets God apart from creation. Now, I'm not a poet, but there are, and there's some kind of like forms of poetry that I, I really don't connect with, but there is one particular poem that I do resonate deeply with, and it's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And I love it because of the wording of what she says, but I also because of, love it because of who Elizabeth Barrett Browning was. Um, Pastor Stiff just loved your video, just by, so I thought you'd know. But she was a poet who in England spoke against many of the things that were wrong with society. And her poetry often deals with things like um, forced child labor, or she even did some poetry around American slavery when she lived in the 19th century. Well, there are five lines of a particular poem that she wrote called Aurora Lee, and I won't explain all the reasons of why it's called that, but these five lines are amazing to me because in it, she sets out in this poem to set, out, set to kind of correct another great wrong along with her list of like slavery and segregation and child forced labor and oppression of women. And she has all these amazing poems about all this, but she also has this poem that she dedicates to addressing what she calls 
another great wrong. And that great wrong, she says, is when we separate the spiritual from the natural. Here are the lines of, that are the climactic end to her poem. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries, dabbing their natural faces unaware. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. Are we those who take off our shoes? Are we those in any moment who are prepared to worship and experience the presence of God? Or are we those who don't see it and we don't respond to it, and instead we just sit around this natural experience, and yes, blackberries are great, but they don't compare to experiencing God in the present moment, in that present place. Well, this is a truth that's available to us, but it raises the question for me, because as I described my last two, you know, set of two weeks, how do I experience this? How do I bring myself to a place where I'm able to experience the very presence of God in any moment and in any place? Judith Haugen, in her book, Transformed into Fire, after she talks about spiritual apartheid, she goes on to say, if we wish to be delivered from spiritual apartheid, we must first consent to live in the moment. A place that, paradoxically, we are always in but rarely enter. The presence of God is experienced in the present moment. That's why John says, he who has the Son has life. Not will have, not had, has. Present tense. The experience of eternal life is something we experience in the present moment. But so often we do not live in the present moment. Hagen goes on and says, if we reject the present moment... Where are we to go? There are two primary destinations, the past and the future. Movements into the past are motivated by regret and revision, while pushing into the future is about control. Are you more tempted to live in the past or more tempted to live in the future? If you're tempted to live in the past, it's probably a temptation that you've given into to go back there and try to rewrite the past. Or you just feel regret for something that happened in the past. Now there's a way in which we can look into the past and remember and remember well, and we will do that at the table in a little bit. But when we get stuck in the past, when it becomes this place that we live and it keeps us from experiencing the present moment, we are missing out on the opportunity to experience the presence of God. And if we are tempted to live in the future like I am, I have futuristic in my top five strengths. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> and I tend to like to live six months in advance and then like kind of work my life backwards from the vision of what I'm going to have happen in six months. And then I try to control everything to get to that six-month vision. <laughs> and I'm so focused on the future, I have a hard time just being present to the present moment. 
And Haugen suggests that these are the enemies of experiencing God because God is always experienced in the present moment. And this is why John says that God has testified that he's given us eternal life and that this life is in his Son and whoever has the Son has life and we must be able to be those who live in the present moment. But that's going to take abandonment. It's going to take letting go, letting go of the past, letting go of the future. Jean Guion, who was a French mystic, said this, What is abandonment? It is forgetting your past. It is leaving the future in God's hands. It is devoting the present fully and completely to your Lord. Abandonment is being satisfied with the present moment no matter what it contains. You are satisfied because you know that when whatever the moment has, it contains in that instance, or that instant, excuse me, God's eternal plan for you. Can you let go of the past and the future to be present to the present moment? Now, talking about living in the present moment is actually a very popular concept in our society today. Uh, Scientologists emphasize this. Um, Tom Cruise is, you know, one of the highest people in all of Scientology. If you hear him interviewed for very long, he's going to talk about living in the present moment. Most people who are involved in Buddhism or Hinduism or any other kind of religion um, that's Eastern focus a lot on mindfulness to the present moment. And there are athletes who say that the secret to their success is not worrying about the future and being afraid of anything, but just living in the moment. And, you know, Hollywood stars are really into this. And so it raises this kind of question of like, well, is that what God really wants us to do is just to be present to the present moment? Is that how we experience eternal life now? Well, of course, we come present to the present moment in order to experience the presence of God. Not to experience ourselves, not to experience something that will make it possible for us to have our best performance ever, not to experience nothing, which is often what Eastern religions invite us to experience, which is nothing. We come present to the present moment, to experience eternal life now. Nicholas Herman was born in France, actually a contemporary of Jean Guion in the the 1700s, and he was born into a very poor home. And he was deprived of a formal education, so he decided to join the military. And then in the military, he suffered an injury that left him lame. And at the age of 40, with no other options really, he decided to enter a Carmelite monastery in Paris in order to be a lay worker in the kitchen. And there he stayed for the next 40 years with his pots and pans. Over time, uh, Herman and, and, and Nicholas Herman as he worked in the kitchen and as the monks got to know him and they hung around him, they just noticed that there was something really different about him. In fact, when they were with him, these monks, get this, sensed that they were like with Jesus. And they were so fascinated by his presence that over time they began to interview him and ask him about his presence. In fact, the grand vicar of the monastery decided to interview Nicholas Herman, who had taken a new name as Brother Lawrence, 
And his conversations, those conversations were written in a book called Practicing the Presence of God. In that book, Brother Lawrence is interviewed and is said to have said this. The vicar says, It was, Brother Lawrence said, enormous self-deception to believe that the time of prayer must be different from any other. We are equally bound to be one with God by what we do in our times of action, washing pots and pans for Brother Lawrence. We are equally bound to be one with God by what we do in our times of action as by the time of prayer at its special hour. In the monastic life, you stop at a certain time, you go to the chapel, you pray. And he's like, we're bound to be with God in both places. His prayer was simply the presence of God and his soul unconscious of all else but love. Amongst the pots and pans for 40 years, Brother Lawrence lived sensing and practicing the presence of God. Living in that present moment, he trained himself to be mindful of God's presence with him in whatever he was doing, which included washing pots and pans. And he was so connected with God that he's like, I don't really need to stop and pray because I'm already praying. But he submitted to the way of life of the monastery, and so he would go. But he says, I don't really need that. And he is able to be mindful of God's presence at all times and in all places. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not an easy discipline for me to practice, being mindful, being aware. Living in the present moment is enough work, but to be in the present moment and aware of the presence of God, that's not something I'm naturally born to do. And I've been living with this idea for over 20 years, and I want to share with you two things that are helpful for me and see if they're helpful for you. And maybe you might even want to try them out this week. As you're doing whatever ordinary thing you're doing, as you're brushing your teeth, as you're stuck in traffic, as you're getting groceries, as you're changing a diaper, two things. My spiritual director taught me a breathing prayer. It's real simple. You breathe something in and then you breathe it out. It's called the Abbas Prayer. Brandon Manning developed it. My spiritual director was on a retreat with him and she learned it from him. And so I want to invite you just to close your eyes and just for a moment just notice your breathing as you breathe in and as you breathe out. As you breathe in, as you breathe out. This time as you breathe in, just breathe Abba and breathe out. I belong to you. Breathe in the words Abba. Breathe out, I belong to you. One more time. Breathe in Abba. Breathe out, I belong to you. Now as you are doing that, I'm assuming you're probably fully present to the present moment. Probably you are not thinking about the past or the future. And it's possible that in that moment you even sensed God's presence with you in the reminder that you belong to God and God belongs to you. And over the years I've been doing this for so long that I'll find myself in a meeting. The other day I was at the copy machine. That's a fun thing to do, be at the copy machine, waiting for the copies. And I just noticed, I heard myself just like, just a little. And for me, that's become a call to prayer. When I notice my breath, just a little, I'll take a breath and breathe Abba and breathe out, I belong to you. 
Sometimes in the midst of a meeting, that's all I have like time to focus on or whatever. But can I tell you that my awareness of God being with me increases because I practice this simple little breathing prayer. And if you do it enough, like maybe you spend like 15 minutes just doing it, gradually over time it becomes instinctive. Like you'll notice your breathing and you're like, or you'll just be like in the midst of something and you're like, this is really stressful, really stressful. And just that taking even just one breath and bringing out can help you become fully present to the present moment and the presence of God in that present moment. A second practice that I try to do, and I'm not great at this one, I often fall asleep and don't do this. So I have not mastered this one, but I have as part of my rule of life that every evening when I lay down to bed, I will practice what is called the prayer of examine. Prayer examine is just a real simple, like thinking back through your day and just thinking about and noticing something. And it's simple if you do it with this, is just when was I most aware of God's presence or God's love? And when was I least aware of God's presence and God's love? And just asking myself that daily or every other day or every third day or whatever it is, helps me, remind me that God wants to do life with me and I want to do life with God. It helps remind me that whoever has the Son has life now. The quality of life going on in heaven can be made available to me in this moment. Not just after I die, but right now. In a moment, the band's going to come and we're going to do some musical worship and then Pastor Donna's going to come and lead us to the table and I just can't resist the connection. She'll probably do other things, but just noticing how when we come to the table, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, but then we eat and we drink and we take in the life of Christ. And in receiving the life of Christ, we're reminded that this life is for now. We eat, which nourishes us. We drink, which hydrates us. We, we receive the very life of Christ because it's available for us right now. So I invite you to stand and well, I'm not leading musical worship. Oh, the band is coming. And we're going to sing to prepare ourselves for the table. And in that moment, may you sense the very presence of God with you. And may it train your senses so that this week you will be mindful of God's presence. As you are mindful of the present moment and bring yourself fully present to the presence of God in the present moment.